And the Lord spoke to me about this last night. He said, this was the beginning of a new day. There's a new day. We're exiting our Kadesh Barnier, the place where the Israelites were spent so much of their journey. You know, we say they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but actually the wandering was much less than that, two, three years, and they were camped out in the area of Kadesh Barnier, in that area, for 38, 37, 38 of the years. And then after they had been proven, they came back to Kadesh Barnier, and that's when the journey actually began, when they crossed over to Jordan and conquered the land that God had given to them. And it seems to me there's a parallel, and we'll be celebrating in April of next year our 40th anniversary, our 40th year that we started church. We started in Mother Straub's living room when she lived up in uh, Van Avon Heights, just a handful of us. And uh, it was Easter Sunday, which is now affectionately called, and correctly called, Resurrection Sunday. But I, pre- I must have preached two hours that day, didn't I, sweetheart? <laughs> I had a kid. Nobody can go anyplace. I mean, they were in somebody's house, and I preached and preached. Yeah, they were there. That's right. They were there for dinner, and so I, I just, I, I just preached and preached and preached and had an altar call and everything else, and they had a. I had a marvelous time until after I stopped and I realized what I had put the people through, but it was. <laughs> It was the beginning. It was the beginning. And we have wandered around for 40 years. 40 years. Wondering what is our legacy? What is our impact? What are we doing? Handful of people, smaller today than normal. What is our mission? What is the vision that God has given to us? And I felt as if the Lord really spoke to my heart and said there is a an analogy of the old to the reality of the new. Now we have had our situations And for a reason, anybody here know the purpose of Israel's wandering in the wilderness? Now, I know because of their rebelliousness and, and uh, the disregard for the great grace of God and in the midst of some of the most phenomenal miracles that have ever taken place in human history, uh, they rejected God and denied God. But, yeah, I realized that it was kind of like a See, you come to Kadesh Barnier. Kadesh Barnier actually is a... Kadesh Barnier literally means place of judgment. And so they came to the place of judgment, and they could see the promised land on the other side. I mean, you could see it. It's there. It was just 
the muddy Jordan River that separated them. And they were told that was their possession. They were told that it was their land. That's what they were going to occupy. And it was a phenomenal land. I mean, it was a... <laughs> Moses described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. With the grapes so big, it, it took two men to carry one cluster. I mean, it was a land of prosperity, a land of plenty, a land of beauty. And they were almost there. They could see it. But when they came to Kadesh Barnier, they were turned aside. And if you look on a map on the journeys of the Israelites, you'll see how it happened. They come down from Egypt, cross over into Sinai. They spend a year or so in Sinai getting the instructions from God and building the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then the cloud and the pillar of fire moves and they start going down south, the peninsula. And then they start coming up. And they come up right next to Canaan land. Kadesh Barnier is here. Canaan land is here. They come up. They're looking. They're rejoicing. Wow. We're almost at the end of our struggles. And what happens? She's fine. She's, no, 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 no. He's, oh, that, that, don't worry. Preaching, that's the best amen I'm getting all night. Don't worry about it. Uh, he, I know, he, I'm sorry. He's mine. Just, just oh, don't worry about it. Sit down. This is for you, too, and him. Uh, don't, no, children don't bother me in church. And so, you know, that, that sounds like, I'm, I know what they're saying. See, they understand the spiritual spirit. And he's saying, preach, brother, preach. This is good. This is the best I've ever heard. <laughs> Can you imagine the frustration, the discouragement that Israel must have gone through? When here they are, they can see their possession. And it wasn't just a possession that came out of their own carnality. It was a divine appointment. It was the prophetic word. And they're right there. And then Moses turns them around. And so where they were going up, They ended up going down. And they wandered in the land for 40 years. But why? Have you ever wondered why? And I think this is very pertinent to our church. Why was Israel wandering or unallowed to occupy Canaan? The Bible's clear about this. I can't quote you Bible verse right now, but I read about it earlier this morning. Anybody want to guess? Yes. Exactly right, Miss Knapp. Everyone who was of 20 years and older when they came in to escape Egypt 
they had to pass away. It had to be a new generation. Not an old generation that was encumbered with all the attractions and allurements of Egypt. Not an old generation that had tasted of the sensuality and the sins and the carnality of the forsaken place. God was waiting for a new generation to rise up. <clears throat> and let me tell you what I saw yesterday. Let me tell you what I saw yesterday. I saw the church operate as it was endowed to, as it was ordained to, operate here yesterday. Every corner of this building was occupied by young people doing their thing. Yeah, some of us elders, the Joshua's and, and Caleb's and what have you are still hanging around. But you know, it's not long before we're not needed. Not long before we're not needed. I watched, I watched the servanthood. There were some things that were, you know, just happening here at one of the tables I was at. I looked at Sarah and she looked at me. Boom, she just popped right up, came over and with a big smile on her face, just serving the people. I'm working downstairs with the new chef of, of Christ the King, a tree, the, the quartet. And we'll laugh at maybe, maybe a quintet because Bobby's very important too. But there's a cooking quintet downstairs that does remarkable. Remarkable. Food was good, wasn't it? It wasn't a soup line food thing, was it? It's that you would expect to have at home, wasn't it? And that's the vision. We invite the people to come in, but we're just not giving them a bunch of slop. They're not indigent. They're not broken. They're not the displaced. They're our family. And see them march in here yesterday? And I'll let you know a little something. You, you may get upset at Pastor Gideon over this. Not me, him, obviously. <laughs> but we were, at, you know, we, we needed money to buy food. And uh, there was something we would, we refused to offer to our guests food that we wouldn't offer to our own personal family. We refused to do that. So it did cost. And it got to a point where we, all, we, we literally did wipe out our treasury. But don't worry, the Lord provided so that our, all of our purchases cleared. Nothing went south. It looks like, it seemed like we were at a, at a point. Well, you could, you know, you don't have to buy this, you know, you can buy this. You know, this, is, this is, no. God never went second rate with us. Somebody, come on, say something. 
God so loved, he gave the most precious commodity in all of eternity. And he didn't think about cost. And you know, just a sidebar, because Jesus was, came in his humanity, he had the potential to deny his, his destiny. But God put it all on the line for us. Didn't consider cost. Even knowing the agony and the suffering that his beloved was going to go through. And that's just filtered down to us. We're a generous people. We're a giving people. We're a loving people. These folks walked in here yesterday and they were met with a cloud of love. They were, I mean, they were just, and, and I, I watched as people went from table to table, no strangers, sitting down, talking to each other. Everybody talking about food is so great. I never had food like that. To me, yesterday was greater than any crusade we could have all held here in Bellevue. And we didn't ask anything from them. I, I saw all the young people serving and, and, and going up and doing things. And week before was all the old geezers. <laughs> and I thought, We're ready to cross over the Jordan and come to our promised possession because this new generation. Yesterday, an individual and his wife, who my wife and I are familiar with, his name is Joe, Joe Weiner. He comes and he does uh, electrical work for us. Wonderful man, loves the Lord. But his wife has a crippling disease and she can't speak and he's not very mobile. But we invited him to come with him and his wife and he was concerned. He said, well, I don't know how to get my wife up there. I don't know what to do there. Because it's, it's just not a good experience for him to go out and take his wife out because of everything needs personal attention. And he's 80, what, six years, 80? 87 years old, and it's, you know, but I'm sure it'd be easier for him just to stay at home and let somebody come along and take care of the situations. But he loves his wife. And even though she's not able to reciprocate it in normal means, he cherishes her. So on Saturday, he takes her to the hairdresser. And so we told him about the dinner. He said, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know how she's going to feel. He said, but we can't, how can I get it? I said, we have a ramp. That's the reason for the ramp. Like this, this guy wanted to tear away and put something else there. So she came and sat us at this table. And then Pastor asked, Pastor Gideon, can you show Joe the place around here? 
I'm sure he gave you some good insights on what to do. But he couldn't go because his wife would be neglected. And I saw one of our young Delilah sit over here and with a big smile on her face, feeding her, helping her with the straw. I saw the church. I saw the church in operation. I came over, laid my hands on, what's her name? Loretta's back. And then she took her hand and was shaking and came up. And so I held it. And she squeezed it. And she didn't have to say one word. saw the church. That's what we are about. The warfare that we are, and we believe me, we have been called to engage in warfare. Just like the Israelites, when they went into Canaan land, they were called to possess the land. Yet there were inhabitants of the land, and God said, you go in anyway. And you possess it. And you do it. This is the way I want you to do it. I want you to annihilate every one of these uh, tribes so that you are sanctified from contamination. Now, when they first went into Canaan land, they crossed over to Jordan. What was the first city that they saw? Jericho. And they, they, they looked at it. It was impossible for them to defeat that city, had walls so big, so wide, that they had chariot races on them. Literally built houses on the wall. Impenetrable. Nobody was ever able to defeat Jericho. And yet now they were in their land of promise and God had promised them the land. And through unconventional means. Did you hear what I just said? Unconventional. I found I, I, I discovered something this week, last night, and this whole month of October. You know, we're always concerned about what do we do for our youth? We can have more programs. We got to go here. We got to go there. We got to do this. And and, and you know, But you know what the best thing to do if you want to maintain your youth and grow them up in the things of God? Give them ministry. Give them ministry. Teach them how to be a warrior in the kingdom of God. But the children of Israel, when they crossed over Jordan and into Canaan, they used conventional warfare tactics. Except when it came to Jericho. There they just marched around the city walls for seven, 
seven days on the seventh day, March 7th time, then they blew their trumpets. Had a hallelujah service. See, all the marching you do, no matter how many days you do it, victory doesn't come until you start blowing that trumpet. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. The minute that they begin to rejoice, I mean, what a, what a spectacle. The whole city of Jerusalem and all the inhabitants appeared over the wall looking at these seven days. What, are they crazy? Are they nuts? If we're going to be victorious in God's battles that he fights for us, one of the things that we've got to straighten out, we can't be intimidated by looking foolish. If God says to do it, do it. If he says to praise him with all your heart, if he says to clap your hands, if he says to sing, if he says to dance, if he says to shout, come on, shout. When we're doing what God has called us to do, no matter how foolish we might look in the eyes of the world, the victory is ours. Because when in the midst of their shouting, in the midst of their trumpets blaring away, God delivered that city into their hands and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Archaeologists have shown that, that the walls of that city literally were destroyed by something. And scientists uh, have tried to reconcile that with the nominalization of the mind and said, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe there was an earthquake that took place or maybe there were so many trumpets and they hit a decibel that was, you know, like, you know, sounds can break glass. <laughs> Make all the excuses you want for the miraculous, but I'll tell you what, it's God who does these things. Yeah, an earthquake. Isn't it funny if the earthquake took place exactly when Israel started shouting? And isn't it funny if the earthquake took place, how come only the walls came tumbling down and didn't consume all of the, uh, the Israelites? You know, sometimes when science tries to explain the miraculous in the scripture, they make a bigger miracle out of it. Yeah. They went in victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. One little defeat at AI, but they got that straightened out because the reason that they were defeated at AI is because of, uh, of greed. Somebody saw something that he wasn't supposed to have, took it, brought it into his own household, and it contaminated the whole camp. They went on to victory, victory, victory. Years and years defeated all the kingdoms. Most of them. And then we come to my sermon of 50 years ago. And these are the nations, Judges chapter 3, verse 1. 
begins. These are the nations the Lord left to test all of those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. All that was left of the supernatural miracles of their history was a memory. They didn't have the experience. They were only told what happened. They only heard about divine intervention, about the interjection of the supernatural into people's lives. They hadn't experienced it. So God sets up a plan. He knows that they, you need to have your own testimony. You can't live on the witness of your parents. So God in his infinite wisdom says, you know what? I'm going to give them an opportunity to develop their own witness, gain their own testimony. I want them to feel the anointing. I want them to celebrate in the surge of the supernatural. I want them to know that this is, that this is real. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the secularization of the sacred. trying to modify it with programs. and So God, listen to this, listen very carefully. Reading to you the word of the Lord is inspired. This is something that God wanted to be said in here exactly the way it is written. God left. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach them warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experiences. God says, okay, guys, I got a group. And they've been in reserve. But they're here because I want to see how you are going to respond on the basis of your own convictions. Our generation, this new generation, is going through situations today that many of us think are the most horrible things that have happened in American history. And it's not a political statement. See, I believe I have the conviction that God allowed America to be discovered and, and, and develop the rich history that it had so that it would be one nation under God. And that from this nation, it would be a portal through which we would go into the world and bring the gospel. I believe that was the purpose of the founding of America. 
a nation who on carries within them the witness, the testimony. Every place we go, I guess maybe now with a cashless situation, cashless generation, maybe that's why we become a cashless. Yeah, nobody wants to, you know, people today don't want to be reminded of what it says on paper money. In God we trust. There were nations that were left. Enemies of the Israelites. And God says, okay, guys. I want you to gain your own experiences. I want you to have your own testimonies. So you're going to come up, you know, you can't have a testimony unless you have a test. So you list all the nations here. And then we get down to verse 4. It says, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's command, which he had given to their forefathers through Moses. Now, some people have a misconception about this. They think that these tests are some way or another indications that God uses to prove our fidelity and love to him. Ah, oh, God's testing me to see whether I'm going to be good or bad. And, you know, and then I pass this test, God will love. No, 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 no. A million times no. God knows your heart better than you do. But he allows these situations to come to pass, not to prove to him the fidelity that you have towards him and the love you have towards him, but to demonstrate to others what it means to be committed to the Lord. He leaves these things in our path to prove to ourselves that God truly is our Lord. If I didn't have a choice to make, how could I proclaim the glories of my God? If I didn't have the option not to love, how could I prove the depth and the sincerity of my love? The option has got to be there. Not as an indictment. Not as a temptation. But as an opportunity for us to give evidence to the things that we say with our lives. Come on now, help me out here. All around us in this society today that we live in, Things are going a lot different than what they were when I was your age, young people. Back there, what they consider right today was considered wrong. What they considered wrong is considered right. There are things that are going on that we are being tested in every area of our consciousness, the integrity of the Word of God, the 
conviction of faithfulness. There are things out there in the world that are there to cause us to make a decision and determination as to who we will serve. So, the Eleazarites, so when God left these nations to test Israel, here's what they did. Verse 5. And Israel, the Israelites, lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites. We're taught that today tolerance is a virtue. And we are to be tolerant. We are to have a compassion for people. But our tolerance doesn't mean that we put ourselves in the most vulnerable of all positions. Yes, it's nice to have peace. And we seek peace, both from a political perspective and from a personal perspective. I want peace, peace. But the treaty of peace is contingent upon the integrity of the peacemaker. If I make peace with you and you're honorable, we can live together even though we have differences of opinions, different cultures, different languages and everything. And that's great. We can live in harmony. But if your intention is to destroy me and pretend that we're at peace so that I lower my defenses, then that's not peace. Subterfuge. There are people out there, there are spirits out there that want our destruction. They don't want to live. They want us to be tolerant of them, but they don't want to be tolerant of us. There is no compatibility in their mindset to our convictions all over the country. The Christian church is being challenged in every area of our convictions. And I think that that has been assisted by the antagonism that the church, the evangelical church especially, has had towards the world. You know, we get out there and we're cursing them and we're, you know, telling them all the terrible things that they do. Sins don't go to hell. Our message isn't one of condemnation. If we could learn anything from the ministry of Jesus Christ, we would learn not tolerance, but mercy, compassion, understanding, reaching out to those who, who are isolated. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are strong to the tearing. Now, what are our weapons? Not just toleration, 
but compassion. And the Israelites lived. You know, it's easier to live when there are no hostilities. Israel, the nation of Israel, it'd be easy for them to live if they would just abdicate all of their convictions, move out of Israel. But they have a conviction. And maintaining that conviction means that they have always got to be on guard. There's security encounters all over the nation. When, Angela, when Susan and I went to India, everything looked great, wonderful. You, you know, look like a normal city, dirtier than most normal cities. A lot louder, a lot more traffic, a lot of honking of cars. But, you know, part of a society. But then we went to dinner. And you walk into the lobby of the restaurant. Guess what meets you first? A security guard. And they have uh, those metal detectors. And you go to a restaurant. Go to a grocery store. Go to the doctor's office. Why? Because they know the potential danger that lurks out there. And they're not going to let down their guard because the moment that they do, something horrible happens. Oh, that each of us would have guards at the gates of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. But it's inconvenient. I'm always reminded of the battle that I engaged. I'm, I'm, I, there are things that are trying to kill me, to take me down. There comes a time when you just say, you know what? Let me just reach out. Regard, you know, yeah, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I want my peace today. And the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. This is the sermon that I preached on the secret sin strategy of Satan and the initiating process of sin for a Christian is when they let their defenses down, when they don't protect their hearts, their minds, their souls. They just try to be inclusive in everything. I don't want to be separate. I don't want to have to have this responsibility. I just want to be able to live in harmony now. 
complacency. And not do nothing, but not doing what we're supposed to. Thinking that because you have secured some kind of well-being in that situation, that there's no danger lurking on the other side of the wall. If you see the enemy coming, yes, you'll stand up and resist. Yes, you'll grab your weapons. Yes, you'll fight. But if you don't see him coming, you don't pay attention to the signs. And so, let down their guard. Mom, Dad, we have a responsibility. I know it's not popular today, but don't be taken in by the deceptiveness of Satan and sin. All Satan has done to sin is dress it up. Sin is a destroyer, not just of soul, but of mind and body and spirit. Parents, young people, be aware of the enemy lurking around you. And don't think because you got lipstick on a pig that it's not going to oink. But you know, the process a degradation in the society has steps. First, get them all comfortable. After the Second World War, our country sighed a sigh of relief. I mean, millions of our young men, women were killed. And now we were able to sit down and have peace and prosperity. There was growth, unparalleled growth. And people were enjoying things chicken in every pot, car in every garage, stopped being a slogan and became a reality, prosperity, achievements. But the complacency issue finally took its toll. Because when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and just lounging around. Oh, this is good. What a wonderful life I have. Um, Jamie, do that again. Please come back in, walk in. Watch this. Come on, please. Oh, everything is so good. Only walk slowly when you come in. All right. Oh, what a good life. Uh, things happy here, family. Isn't everything good? And, and, ooh, wow. Excuse me. Huh? Huh? 
Steve, don't punch me out, please. <laughs> when your eyes are not fixed on your goal, you're susceptible to all types of allurement. And what does it say? They wanted to maintain their peace. They didn't want to go to war. So listen to what they did. Verse 6. They took their daughters in marriage. All were being inclusive. And in order to justify them being able to take their daughters in marriage, they had to make another compromise. They gave their sons to their daughters. The daughters of the Philistine. What happens? Peace, harmony, no. Insurrection, dereliction. And watch the rapid deterioration of the nation of Israel, spiritual deterioration. And they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons. And what happens when a believer marries a heathen? The heathen's way prevail. I don't know how many people I've counseled in marriage, pre-marriage counseling situations, where, you know, my, my objective, as everybody knows, you come to me for marriage counseling, I, <laughs> I have one objective. I have for you to be peace and happy and, and see I, my, my objective is to break you up. And the way I do that is I try to bring out all of the negatives in both parties. Those of you who have gone through marriage counseling with me, you know that. That's I'm brutal. Because I want you to see what you're marrying. I want you to know what you're marrying. Because there's been so many people who come to us. And they say, well, don't worry. He'll change. I'll change him. He loves me. He's good to me. How many times is the change in reverse? And you conform. You become a part of. And verse 7 says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and the Asherahs. Where is our country today? What is the moral fiber of our, what does the moral fiber of our country consist of? Where is the debarkation 
of evil and good, right and wrong. What's happened? We looked at the enemy as a lover, not realizing that their purpose was for our assimilation into them. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Why did God get angry at Israel? This is something that people don't think about. They think that God got angry at Israel because they were doing all these terrible things, serving asterisks, and this and that. that may have been the activity. But the anger of the Lord wasn't against Israel because of their activity. But you see, their activity now separated them from their destiny. They had a divine destiny. From Israel, from the loins of Israel, was to come the Messiah. But if now Israel was integrated with all the, the profanity of the world, how would one that is pure, how would one that was the Messiah come to the world to save the world? Whom the Father loves, he corrects. You want to call that anger? Call that anger. I call that love. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands. And this is why I, this was my first, one of the first sermons I preached because of the name of this king. I don't know how long it took me, days, weeks, months, but I finally learned how to pronounce this. Cushan Rishathanum, king of Mesopotamia. Boy, I sound smart when I would say that. And he sold them over to the hand of Cushan, Rishathanum, king of Mesopotamia. People say, oh, wow, this guy's a Hebrew scholar. Man. I never bothered back then to really look up the meanings of the words. Just happy enough that I could pronounce it. But in my old age, I decided, you know, I have my PhD, so I guess I need to know a few things. Kushan Rishathanum. It's a double negative. A double negative. Double negative of wickedness. Cushion, wickedness, Rishathanum, a repetitive. Wickedness, wickedness. So he sold him over to the hands of a double wickedness. And the children of Israel suffered. They cried out to God. 
Their lives were intolerable. They sought peace. They sought just to have friendship and relationships. But now the reality set in. All their vain philosophy left, led them to a place of terrible disappointment, discouragement, servitude. Under the hand, not just a wicked king, but a doubly wicked king. I could hear the people of that time saying to their younger children, I've never seen anything as horrible in our country as I see it today. But you know, I found something. This is what the Lord spoke to me on Thursday night. I found something about this Kushan Rishathanum, this double wickedness. He was the king of Mesopotamia. Now, those of you who understand the Atlas of the Bible know that Mesopotamia is almost like a little island country between two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And it's really not that far away from Eden. It's a land of promise, paradise. So here is double wickedness coming down, but he's coming down from a strange place. He's coming down from a place of new beginnings. And that's validated by, see, we, we, we miss some things. We miss some things if we don't really understand this. And the Lord's uh, into the hands of Cushan Rishathanum, king of Aram, Nathan, actually Mesopotamia, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. You know, when things are said specifically in Scripture, they have a very pronounced purpose that is not just chronological. Could have been six years. Could have been 20 years, could have been what? But specifically, the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to write eight years. It was eight years. King of what? Mesopotamia, the land of promise, the land of birthing. But now they were involved in such tragedy and, and, and personal destruction. Their lives were a mess. But yet, when the king of double wickedness came to them, eight years. You know what eight stands for symbolically in scripture? New beginnings. King double wickedness 
coming from the land of promise. Thought he was destroying the people of God by inflicting all these judgments and hardships and persecutions on them. But it backfired on the king of wickedness. It backfired on him, even though he was doubly wicked. The children found their liberty and their deliverance. The eighth year, a new beginning. Have you ever wondered why you've gone through struggles in your life? Ever wonder why so many testimonies are predicated upon a life of hardship and, and dredge, drudge and, and, and part of a life of disappointment, frustration? How many times people have said to you, no, I, I, I was ready to kill myself. I, oh, did this. And then, terrible. All that wickedness has come to destroy them. But that wickedness brings with it the promise of a new beginning. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must have a new beginning. People walked in here, came in here yesterday. You look at their faces. You saw it in their eyes. Some of them just came in with an empty stare. Some hobbled in. Others had to be guided in. The lame, the infirm, the suffering. They came in. Double wickedness out there. Pushed them to find refuge in here. Oh, did somebody stand behind the pulpit and preach the gospel to them? No. Did we sit at the table and show them scripture and why they were going to hell? No. Did we tell them how bad their lives were and if it, they didn't turn to Jesus, it was going to get worse? No. Double wickedness brought them to the place of new beginnings. And what do we demonstrate? Come as you are. Come to the land of plenty, to true peace and true prosperity. Oh, ma'am, can I take your, well, are you mind if I take your plate? Thank you, thank you. Welcome. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, so good to see you. Oh, you so thank you for thank you for coming. One little gal came in, marched in here first thing in the morning, announced to Angela, I'm here to help. <laughs> oh, what do you know? You haven't gone through our trading program. Boy, did she help. And was she an ambassador of grace? Go, oh, can I help you? Can I do this? Can I? Sometimes even getting in the way, but we didn't care. We weren't going to discourage her. 
Well, better than nobody came to church on Sunday. That's okay. They had church on Saturday. Now we're celebrating 40 years. But I want to just say this. It's been eight years since we've been under the siege, the dominion of double wickedness. But the answers to our society are not political, not legislative. I don't care. I mean, I care from a social perspective, but no matter who's the president, no matter what the Congress does, those are not the weapons of our warfare. You know where the fastest growing church in the world is right now? China. Where if you're caught preaching, you can go to jail for the rest of your life. We have one of our, pa our missionaries who you know who's been here. She's helping to pastor a church. We're the former pastor. Very bold and very brazen, very outspoken. Was run over by a a truck, an accident. Double wickedness. Sometimes God allows double wickedness to come into our environment, not because he's angry, not because he's being judgmental, but he's trying to give you your own testimony to find out the truth of God's grace, find out the reality of God's love, to feel the compassion that he has for us in our suffering, to know that regardless of what's going on in our lives, he's always there with us. That's the message that we have to preach. That's the message of this church. We don't need to be judges bringing indictment. We need to be fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers. Bringing them and sharing with them what we have. What other group would have had done what we did yesterday and not have 10 complaints? Oh man, I don't know why I gotta stay here and I gotta pour this food on the people's thing. I don't know why I gotta carry that. I don't know why I gotta do that. I don't know why I have to mop the floor. You do it because there's a reality with it's the real gospel, servanthood, giving, sharing, caring, loving, even at our own personal expense. Yesterday, 
our church was identified. I saw it. I saw the land. I saw the promise. We're going to be challenged to maintain that level of commitment, integrity, guard against the wiles of the world. We're going to be challenged. But it's not because God doesn't trust you. It's not because you're some kind of carnal Christian. It's because God wants you to demonstrate his love and his grace through your own life. He wants you to have your own testimony, your own personal experience. Yeah, I've been healed how many times of heart conditions and I'm on deathbeds, two weeks to live. Oh, but that's my testimony. And yeah, you can share it with somebody else, but until you are in that hospital bed and the doctors are saying, call the last rites. few more months. Let me cross over. But understand this. When we have our 40th celebration on April 9th or 8th, it doesn't mean we have arrived. It only means we're now ready for war. We've been trained. We've been battle tested. The wanderings, living in the Kadesh Bani area, what do they do there? The young people prepared for war. They learned how to do battle. They became so notorious for their fierceness and, and, and their victories that Balak, one of the great kings of that region, looked and said, we got to find a way to defeat them. And he called for Balaam, come, prophesy over them, curse them, do something, because we know that they're too strong for us. Let's get that testimony right now in this community. Let everybody in this community who hears the words or the name Christ the King Church say, you know what, that church is something special. Not because of performance, but because of attitude, because of sacrifice, because of love. Every time we go there, they say, oh, you're with that. Oh, I had dinner there, and it was so good. It was the best meal I ever had. And oh, but not just the people, but the, uh, not just the food, but the people. They're so wonderful. We're training for battle. And we're using the most powerful weapons that the world has ever seen. More powerful than a thousand atom bombs. It's the power of love. Of grace. Caring. And let me conclude with this. Why do I care so much about the people out there in the world? Let me tell you. 
Why? Because I was there. When they speak of hopelessness, I identify. I remember the days that I walked the streets of New York City, no place to sleep, no place to live, no food to eat, searching the gutters for a stub of cigarette that was still smoldering so I can get a few more drags out of it. I remember every time that I would see my reflection in a mirror or glass display of windows, I'd look at myself and I'd make the sign of a gun and pull the trigger. I know what it's like to go through double wickedness, to have Kushan Rishathanam rule over me. But what he didn't realize is that he was the one who was bringing the door of salvation to my life because of my hurt, because of my wounding. I had the courage to cry out, not even the courage, I had the desperation to call out to God. And 50 years ago, I celebrated my eighth year. I bless you for what we're doing. Friends, I want you to know this. Don't look around and see the empty chairs. This is Gideon's clan. And the Gideon army. The few, the chosen. We've got the mantle of the ministry of Jesus Christ draped over our shoulders. And our message isn't one of condemnation. Our message is one of healing, hope, salvation. Not conformity to our brand of religion, but just an invitation to experience a relationship with the Lord our God. We will not profane the gospel. This came into my mind this morning as I was getting ready to come here. Definition of profanity, I know it's familiarity. But then it came into my mind, this definition. To profane something is to secularize the sacred. Look for your own benefits. 
we shouldn't do something like this unless we can get money. We'll send out a material, have, have people send us money. We'll go out and get free food to give to the... No. No. We're not going to profane the gospel. We've got great worth. And out of our treasury, out of our abundance, we're going to meet the needs of the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, stand and just praise the Lord with me. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Our message isn't one of condemnation. Believe me, the double wicked king out there in people's lives doesn't need definition, doesn't need explanation. People know. They know what they're going through. And you don't have to tell them that it's bad. And you don't have to warn them that, you know what, you keep doing this, you're going to hell because what they'll, what they'll probably tell you is, you hell? I'm in hell now. Ours is a message of hope. Well, you might be abused. You might be taken advantage of. People take what you have and not give anything in return. Well, you know what? We don't ask for anything in return. So how can we be taken advantage of? understand now why I had to preach today? And why the sermon definitely was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there was another inspiration to this word. And it's your lives. The gifts that you gave. The joy that you shared. making those who have been disrespected by the world to come in and say, oh, you're so good. You're so welcome here. Makes no Pastor Gideon was warned by some other church, well, you better be careful when they come because you don't know where they might go. These people, they go every place. And you better have a cleanup crew ready because maybe somebody will come and defecate and urinate on your carpet or your chairs. Better be careful. I said, so what? Because of their human weaknesses, they're not going to be invited here, appreciated. Those are the ones that need our love right now. this word has resonated in your heart that's all the affirmation that you need to know that you're in a right relationship with God 
You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to pray a sinner's prayer. Although there needs to be a time of public confession. But if this word has resonated in your heart, if you said, wow, this is right, then that is evidence of a viable relationship that you have with the Lord. Amen. Please be seated for just a minute. I want to tell you what I'm excited about as I heard this message. We have a church exactly like this in Cambodia. People who are thrilled. You know, there was a guy that came into our church was crazy. I mean, I don't know really what was wrong with him, but he said outlandish things and walked down the street with no clothes on and I mean just did really crazy things one of the guys from our church in Cambodia actually went and followed him carrying a pair of pants tried to catch up with him to put the pants on him because the guy was naked and they were his pants they were so big pants he took his own pants to give to the guy but I mean they they do the same kinds of things and how exciting that is to know that there is another congregation like this one and uh, they've learned from the best I guess now would you stand we're going to pray for the church in Cambodia because I promised them we would and then I get to bless you Father I thank you so much for the opportunities that you've given to us to minister to your people to open our arms to them and love them when nobody else seemed to want to. Lord, it's a great honor for us. And I thank you that we have had the opportunity to do this around the world. My, my, my. Of all people, us. Thank you, Lord. And now, church, I bless you in the name that is above every name. I bless you with peace and pro- And more than any other thing, I bless you with love. Love that you can't contain, and so you have to pour it out on everybody around you. I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I receive that blessing. Now go in peace.